0: Following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now, the message. We are indeed looking for that victory. So many people these days that I talk to, um, they become a Christian. Uh, man, they just think all their Troubles, all of their worries, everything that they've been battling all their life is just going to dissolve instantly. That is far from the case. You find out that in the uh, Christian life, uh, it is just a series of one small victory, one small battle after the other, small steps leading to huge victories. Um, A lot of people think that the entire war is going to be won in just one battle, but it takes many, many battles sometimes to win the entire war. We we all love a great underdog story. Uh, Many, many, many different movies are based on underdog stories. Uh, There's even a cartoon about underdog. There's no need to fear. Underdog is here, always coming in at the end uh, fighting up against a uh, an enemy that is much, much larger than him. We see it in the sports scene uh, many, many times as well. Uh, Kurt Warner is a very, very good example of that. I mean, he was bagging groceries uh, at one time, uh, went up through arena football, uh, graduated from college. Uh, he, he didn't start playing until his senior year. It was then that... He got to reveal to everybody, hey, I've got talents, i got skills, i got the ability to make it on the next level. Uh, went into arena football and was successful as there. The NFL, St. Louis Rams uh, hired him, brought him in as a quarterback. Uh, he went into the European Football League for a while, uh, set many, many records there. And then he finally got his chance to step up on the big stage with the St. Louis Rams and... It was from there that uh, they put together the team that is known as the greatest show on turf. Uh, set many, many records. His first year as quarterback went to, on and won a Super Bowl. Uh, he kind of floundered around a little bit after he left the St. Louis rounds, but he found himself back at uh, Arizona with the Cardinals and kind of reinvigorated and reinitiated, he, he reinitiated his career uh, there and took them on uh to another Super Bowl, lost in that one. But his example is an underdog, somebody that, you know, everybody else just kind of doubts. They they don't see the value in a person, but they just want that one chance to really prove, hey, I can make it in this world. I can do something great if you'll just give me that chance, and I'm going to take the small steps to overcome that victory. We hear these uh, stories going on um, in many different battles in the war scene. Uh, Sam Houston is a great example of that. In the aftermath of the Alamo, uh, he brought uh, the Texas Revolution to an end uh, with one battle. He went up against Santa Ana in uh, 1836. Uh, Santa Ana had 750 men, but he was bringing in reinforcements as quickly as he could, knowing that Sam Houston was on his way. And when they finally met, the battle only lasted about 18 minutes. Uh, Santa Ana had suffered 600 casualties to where Sam Houston had only lost about 10 men and won that battle. A little bit closer to home, uh, there was actually a song written after this one. Oh, uh, Andrew Jackson marched down the Mississippi River. 1814, the Battle of New Orleans took the British on. You know the song, you've heard it before. In 1814, we took a little trip. Along with Colonel Jackson down to the mighty Mississippi. Took a little bacon, took a little beans, and we fought, fought the mighty British in a town called New Orleans. That battle actually took place in what we now know as Chalmette. And so they fought the British. Uh, the British made some very, very detrimental errors. Uh, the British suffered over 2,000 deaths, including their commanding general, Sir Edward. Pakenham, and second in command, General Samuel Gibbs, and they beat the uh, British there in the Battle of New Orleans. So we see this in the Bible as well. Many victories that we've looked at so far in this study, uh, just kind of glancing through some Old Testament and New Testament examples of victories. We know that the ultimate victory is coming uh, in the book of Revelation. Uh, we know that the ultimate victory, the one that everybody relates to, is the mighty David versus Goliath. Even these days, when we see a football team that is coming in uh, that is under ranked, underrated, uh, they know that uh, the other team should be able to beat them uh, handily. Uh, we call that a David versus Goliath battle. But what about David? What about David and Jonathan and their relationship? Did David learn something from Jonathan through their battles and their relationships? If we look at 1 Samuel chapter 14, we'll see that Jonathan was actually the first David versus Goliath as far as being outnumbered and outmatched against the Philistines. And so he took some small steps from where he was at. Nobody else wanted to take the Philistines on at this time. But David took his armor bearer to where the Philistines were while the rest of the Hebrews and the Israelites were were hiding in caves and rocks and thickets and bushes because they were afraid of fighting the Philistines. But Jonathan took his armor bearer to where the Philistines were and took these small steps and made one small victory that encouraged and inspired the rest of the Israelites to come join forces with him and eventually defeat the Philistines on this one event. He took small steps that led to a huge victory for the Israelites. And what is it that we can learn out of this? There are three things that we can learn about this, and there are three questions that we can ask ourselves about this. What what kind of battles are we in right now? As we talked about this morning, this culture, man, we need some people to stand up against what's going on, against the erosion of our culture today, and say, you know what, I can't can't take on the whole world system, but I can do something in my corner of the world. I I can step out in faith and say, you know what, I'm going to take the enemy head on where I'm at. I'm going to be involved in the schools I'm going to be involved in the political arena. I can't run for governor, but maybe I could sit on the uh, city council. Maybe I could run for a school board representative. We need Christians. We need some mighty warriors in that realm to be involved in the political scene as well. But here we see Jonathan taking on the Philistines and inspiring the rest of the Israelite army. Saul is king. Saul is basically... Uh, done with his reign as king. He's already being disobedient to the Lord. God has removed his hand of blessing off of Saul. And they are sitting there just waiting to see what's going to happen. And when they recognize that something is going on with the Philistine army, they begin taking a head count. Hey, who's missing an army? There were only 600 of the Hebrews we'll see in just a moment. And when they found out that it was Jonathan and his armor bearer that was gone, Then the watchmen started seeing what was taking place and said, we have got something going on here. we got two men that have stepped out in faith. They have won a small victory. They've taken out some of these Philistines, but if we will join them right now, we can see a huge victory take place. If you have your Bibles, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Chapter 13 actually sets the scene for this, and we're going to refer back to a few verses in chapter 13, so... We're going to pick up in uh, verse 1 of chapter 14. We're going to ask ourselves this question. What accomplishments have you experienced with God in the past? We're going to see some parallels in this opening part of the uh, passage. We're also going to see some contrast between Saul and Jonathan as well. Verse 1 says, Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father, and Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Take note of this, because we're going to look here in just a moment at exactly how many men were on the side of the Philistines and how grossly outnumbered they were. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh was wearing an ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrisons, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. Note that when you start taking these small steps you're going to encounter some obstacles. Sometimes there'll be small obstacles that you need to overcome, but it's never going to be easy taking those first few steps that lead to a huge victory. The name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sina. The front of one faced northward, opposite of Michmash, and the other southward, opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. That's very significant there because Jonathan is making a uh, point to to recognize that the Philistines are living outside of God's covenant and God's blessing by pointing out their uncircumcision. He's saying that they are outside of a covenant with the Lord. He says, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Underscore that part of verse 6 right there, because I think that is the key to this whole thing. And I think that is very, very instrumental to what we have going on here in our church and in this area. Sometimes we think that we don't have the manpower to pull off the ministries that we want to be involved in. But what Jonathan is saying is here is that it doesn't matter how many. It could be a whole bunch, it could be just a few, but with God on your side, nothing's going to restrain you from seeing that victory. Nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. We're going to come back to this in just a moment. Then Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still. Here's your first parallel that we're going to look at. In our place, and not go up to them. So here's a few things that the writer points out. The writer points out the small size of Saul's army in verse 2, only 600 men, in relation to the enormous garrison on the side of the Philistines. Look across the page, or maybe turn the page back in in chapter 13, beginning in verse 5. We're going to look at just how many people the Philistines brought to this particular battle. 1 Samuel 13, verse 5, it starts off by saying, Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots. Those chariots can hold more than just one person. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. And people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. So what happened to the Israelites when they saw that they were outnumbered by so many? It came up. Uh, and encamped in Mishmash to the east of Beth-Avon when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger for the people were distressed then the people hid in caves they hid in thickets they hid in rocks and holes and in pits now is that any way for a child of God to live? I don't think so with God on your side like uh, Jonathan was talking about here just a minute ago it may be that the Lord will work for us. One man has the guts and the gumption enough to say God is still with us. We are still under the covenant that God has promised us. He is still with us. He hasn't left us. There is no reason for us to be hiding from the enemy right now. And it even says nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So that's what I got to thinking about this morning. As I challenge everyone to go out, share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of the times, the number one thing that keeps us from sharing our faith is fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of rejection. There are so many things that just paralyze us and neutralize us in fear. And that's exactly what happened to the Israelites here. They lost sight of who the Lord was. They had forgotten about their past victories. That the Lord. That they had just escaped the Egyptians and Pharaoh's great army. They had saw the great miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But they had forgotten about all the victories that the Lord had led them through up until this point. And when they saw the numerous Philistines with their chariots and their large garrison, they hid in fear. Folks, we cannot retreat right now. There's too much hinging upon us, stepping out in faith. We're not going to win the whole war at once. But what we can do is we can win these little bitty small battles along the way, building up the army, building up the reinforcements, building up the manpower. You've heard me say this before. A larger army conquers more territory. So that's the direction that Jonathan and his armor bearer are heading in. Hey, if we can show the rest of our Israelite counterparts what God can do with two men who will step out in faith, we can take these men on and we can win because nothing restrains the Lord from saving. It doesn't matter how many or how few it is. Jonathan is going in with the concept and the confidence that if it's just me and you, plus the Lord, <laughs> there's nothing that can stop us. So in this passage we see a parallel and a contrast. Here's the first contrast that we see is the contrast between Saul and his son Jonathan. We see Jonathan stepping out in obedience and benefiting from the promises that are listed in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, verse 7. We also see Saul publicly dishonoring the Lord and potentially activating the promise of a cursing that is found in the same chapter, Deuteronomy. Let's go to Deuteronomy, chapter 28, for just a minute. We'll take a look at what the Lord had promised. Moses and the Israelites are standing on opposite mountains. God is proclaiming promises. Based upon obedience and disobedience. And it's something that's known as the retribution principle. Obedience produces blessings. Disobedience produces curses. No, I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. But I'm going to show you crystal clear what the Lord promises that he'll give us. Based upon our obedience when we step out in faith and trust in him. Where was Jonathan stepping out on? Deuteronomy 28, verse 7. God says, when you obey, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. And they shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Looking at the beginning of uh, chapter 28, it says, it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, and observe carefully his commandments. These are some of the things that that obedience will produce. Not material blessings, not riches, not gold, not silver, not money. But God says, "I'm going to wipe the enemies out if you'll just obey me and follow my commands." What is on the flip side of that? Look at verse 25. The end of verse 15 actually says that it should come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes what I command you today. And he lists all these curses. Your city's going to be cursed. Your country's going to be cursed. Even the bread that you try to produce, it's going to be cursed as well. The food of your body will be produced, uh, cursed. But in verse 25 he says this, and it's the principle of having that small step that leads to a larger victory. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. What is Saul and the Israelites doing? They're hunkering down. They're hiding. They they have already said, we're defeated by these guys. We can't take them on. We've lost this battle because there's too many of them compared to our 600 men. It says, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You should go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. This is a retribution principle. Obedience produces blessings. Disobedience produces cursings. And that's why what we're looking at on Sunday mornings is so, so important right now. Because hearing the Lord, voice of the Lord, not just hearing it, but doing what he says. Both of those passages begin. It shall come to pass if you diligently obey what? The voice of the Lord. Verse 15, it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, you've got to hear his voice to observe carefully his commandments and take those small steps that lead to a huge victory. So the parallel that we see here, that's a contrast that we see between Saul and Jonathan. Jonathan is stepping out in obedience. Saul is living in direct disobedience. And his men, his country, his nation... They're all suffering because of it. The parallel that we see here once again, uh, it's Israel, uh, they're in a hopeless situation. It's a parallel with exactly what was going on during the exodus from Egypt. The Hebrew nation, all of Israel, they they had left Egypt. The Egyptians had given them riches, silver, gold, everything that they could pack with them. They were on their way out. They were fleeing from the mightiest army on the face of the earth, but they run up against the Red Sea and they had nowhere else to go. They were in a hopeless situation. They had no weapons. They weren't trained for battle and they were fleeing for their life. They knew that eventually that Pharaoh would catch on to what's going on. Here comes Pharaoh's army has them outnumbered. They have weapons of war. They got chariots. They got horses. And it's fixing to be a slaughter. They are in a hopeless situation. Same thing is going on here. Saul and his men, they're in a hopeless situation. They're grossly outnumbered. They're hiding. They're fleeing. And obviously the Philistines are prepared for battle. They got their chariots. They got their garrison ready. But look at what Jonathan says in verse 9. He says, if they say thus to us, wait until we come to you. Then we will stand still in our place. He says, here's the plan. If this happens, we're just going to stand still and we're going to watch what God does. You remember what Moses said at the Red Sea with the Egyptians closing in? He said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Just keep calm and watch what God does. Jonathan says, look, if they tell us thus and so then you just stand still and watch what God does. Point number two, what else do we need to look at? Oh, I I wanted to cover one other thing. There's one other important part here in verse six. We we often think about the relationship between Jonathan and David, how their hearts were uh, knit together together But I want you to see how close Jonathan and his armor bearer are. Verse 7 is what I wanted to point out. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. The Lord leads Jonathan armor bearer to say something that we all need to hear from time to time. We need that Christian companion. We need that soulmate. We need that person that compliments us. We need that person to say, my heart is with your heart. And I am with you as close as your very own heart. That is a literal Hebrew translation of what the armor bearer is saying here. He's saying, I am with you just like your own heart is with you. He's showing total allegiance and support of Jonathan. And his decision to trust God. You know the big talk in the news right now is all this artificial intelligence business. They're designing computers and they're designing this artificial intelligence. These mechanisms that can think for themselves somewhat similar to a human brain. If you haven't heard about it, it's, it's pretty scary stuff. And it's what it is is it's man's way of trying to become God by creating something that can think and do for itself. Let me just say this. Man might be able to create a lot of things. They might be able to create this artificial artificial intelligence that can think for itself. But one thing that they'll never be able to duplicate is a human being's desire to accomplish great things. This grit and this fortitude that we have embedded within us that when the situation dictates it, something inside of us is released to do something great. God works through us to accomplish big things, that is something that mankind will never be able to duplicate because God has put in your heart an ability to survive and to do great things for his kingdom. And that's what this armor bearer is saying. He says, I've got a heart too, just like yours. Now that I see that your heart is beating for the Lord and you're moving in the direction of being totally dependent and totally obedient to the Lord, that's what I want to do as well. And so you as a believer, you think that you might not have much pull in this community. You might think that you don't have a whole lot of influence around the people around you. But I beg to differ with that. Because if we can just get one or two people to stand up, just like Jonathan said, it doesn't matter how few or how many, God can do great things through that number. And when we started passing out those cards this morning, when we started challenging the people, I I knew beyond a shadow of doubt, I said there's no way that I'm going to convince this whole congregation to go out and do this. But if I can just get a handful of people to be convinced that their testimony and their Christian witness and that the gospel still saves, that's enough. That's all it's going to take to set this place ablaze and watch God do great and mighty things. And that's what's going on in this battle as well. Two men step up. Look. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And these two dudes are climbing up a mountain through sharp rocks, ready to totally depend upon God to give them the victory. That's what we need right now. That's what our culture needs. That's what this world needs. And if God can get just a couple of people who are really, really set on obeying the Lord and sharing the gospel, let me tell you, that, that would be a game changer right there. The whole key to this passage is in verse 6, though. Nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So don't forget the past. Don't forget about what God has done to you. We shouldn't live in the past. We shouldn't dwell on the past. We shouldn't let the things in the past hold us down. But we should always look back to the past. And that's what Jonathan is doing. Jonathan is saying, I've seen God do it before And I know He'll do it again. We are still under the covenant. We are still His people. We still have His hand of blessing upon us. And with just a few people, God can do great and mighty things. He's reliving the past and He's living on the confidence of what God has done in the past. And so should we. Point number two. What, what are you seeking God's will for in the present right here and right now? No matter what's happened in the past. No matter what's going on in the future, no matter what kind of victory or what kind of battle you're facing right now, are you seeking God's will? And if you are, what are you seeking God's will for right now in the present? Sometimes we spend so much time in the nasty by and by, we forget about the sweet now and now. We've got to focus on what's going on right here. We can't continue to say we used to do it this way or we used to do it that way. What is God doing right now here in the present? Picking up in verse 10, uh, they've already made up their minds. No matter what response we get from the Philistines, we've got a plan in action. If they say to us, wait until we come, then we're going to stand here and we're going to wait. We're not going to go up to them. Verse 10, but if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has delivered them into our hand. Boy, that is the voice of confidence right there, isn't it? If they will just tell us, if they will just challenge us, if they will double-dog dare us to come up to where they're at, that means that God has put them in our hands, and we've got the victory already. For the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you something. And I'm sure Jonathan said, oh, yeah, it's on now. (laughs) We got them right where we want them. There is a sign that we're looking for. It is, Katie, bar the door. He kind of nudges his armor bearer a little bit and said, watch what happens next. (laughs) Hold on tight. Here we go. Are you chomping at the bits? Are you waiting to see that victory right now? We only need just a couple of people to stand up and say, that. let's do it. We've got our sign. We've got the green light. It is on. Come up to us, and we will show you something. Right now, here in the present, what are you asking God for? Jonathan said to his arm bearer, come up after me. For the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. Notice that this struggle is not easy. These first few steps... They are on their hands and knees. They're crawling uphill to where the Philistines are. Folks, it's not going to be easy, this first victory. The first few victories, they're going to be challenging. But it's going to be so, so worth it. Can we just agree that sometimes when you make a stand for what is right, though, those who are in the wrong will always ridicule and speak in a condescending manner. Even though Jonathan is on his hand and knees. He's not afraid of anything. Him and his armor bearer. They're they're climbing up this hill to where the Philistines are. Notice what the Philistines do. Boy they start ridiculing them. Look. There, there's the Hebrew. Finally they're coming out of their holes. We got a couple of live ones here boys. They're not scared. They're, they're a little bit crazy. Muy loco la gabeza. They don't know what they're getting themselves into. They're, they're fixing to shake the hornet's nest and they're fixing to stir something up that they're not ready for. But look, here they're they're coming up out of their holes. And then they even challenge, they look, come up here, come up here and let us show you how it's done. Let us show you something. And I'm sure that was like throwing gas on a fire for Jonathan and his armor bear. They were up for the challenge, they knew that God was on their side. But most of the times when we step up and we start making those small victories, there's always going to be some type of negative report. Someone that wants to talk down to you and say you don't know what you're doing. You're not hearing God correctly. And sometimes it will come from our own family and possibly come from someone that's claiming to be a Christian. All people handle change differently. And when you start climbing up that hill, when you start kicking rocks down, when you start moving in the direction that God wants you to go in, they see that as a change. Because what were the Israelites doing? They were hiding in caves and holes. What were they probably saying? Look, I'm, I'm safe where I'm at. <laughs> I'm not taking a risk. I'm comfortable. Nobody's bothering me. I, I don't feel threatened in my safe spot. Why do you want to mess up our routine? We've got something going on here that we like. You're you're crazy for thinking that things will ever change. God is through with us. I'm sure that's what the Israelites were thinking as well. Nobody likes being the agent of change, but sometimes that's exactly what we need. At the end of your outline, there's a quote by Warren Wearsby. It says this, it says, nothing paralyzes our lives like the attitude that things can never change. We need to remind ourselves that God can change things. Outlook determines outcome. Boy, that is so, so important to understand right there. Your outlook on the situation. Look at the outlook that Jonathan and his armor bearer have. God has given them, he's he's put them in our hands. He's given us this victory. Their outlook on this whole thing was so positive, and it was so much higher than everyone else's. Outlook determines outcome. And if we see only the problems, we will be defeated. But if we see the possibilities in the problems, we can have victory. And that's what Jonathan saw. He saw the possibilities. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by a few. Jonathan's on his hands and knees. Sometimes that's actually the best place for us to be is on our hands and knees before the Lord saying, God, I don't have this, but I know that you do. God, I can't handle this, but I know that you will. I I can't go up this mountain anymore, Lord. I need your help, and I need your strength in this situation. Right here in this present time, Lord God, is where I'm asking you. I'm struggling up this mountain, but I know that there's a victory coming. Our prayer life, asking God for those victories. Telling God, God, I know that I'm outnumbered physically, but I know that you'll give me the strength to get me through this battle. God, give me the courage to take these first few steps, Give me the fortitude to continue on no matter how slippery the slope gets. No matter how sharp the rocks are. No matter how large the enemy looks before me. God, I know that if you are on my side, I've got the victory. G. Campbell Morgan had this to say about prayer. He says, prayer is life passionately wanting, wishing, desiring God's triumph. Prayer is life striving and toiling everywhere And always for that ultimate victory. Your prayer life, one battle at a time, hand-to-hand combat. The Apostle Paul said, our weapons of warfare are not carnival. They are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Life is an uphill battle. If the going is easy for you right now, you, you may be going downhill. That's what used to when we went skiing all the time. That's what we say. Boy, it was work getting up to the ski lift. You were sweating. You had all these clothes on. You was trying to do this little sidestep to get uphill. Finally, you get seated down on the chair lift if it didn't knock you down right there at the beginning. But finally, you get up to the mountain and boy, when you hit that slope, you're downhill. That's, that was a saying. It's all downhill from here. Easy going getting down until you take a little tumble. But right now the struggle is on for Jonathan and his armor bearer. They're going uphill. They know that the way is going to be treacherous. Two men take on 20 Philistines. They take them out, a half an acre of land. Doesn't seem like much, but it is a small enough step in the right direction to get the rest of the Israelites out from their hiding and into the battle. Verse 12, second part of verse 12, John says, for the Lord has delivered them into our hands. Right here, right now. are we praying that God will give us the victory and put the enemy in our hands to where we can take him out and remove those obstacles and begin inspiring people to take those next small steps What are you seeking God's will for right here in the present? What kind of accomplishments have you experienced with God in the past? Point number three, how will you respond to the victory God provides in the future? First slaughter with Jonathan and his arm bearer made was about 20 men. It doesn't seem like much at first. A half an acre of land But it was just enough to tip the scales. Look what happens next in verse 15. And there was trembling in the camp. In the field and among all the people, the garrison and the raiders also trembled. And the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. Jonathan and his armor bearer could take out these 20 men they couldn't make the entire garrison tremble, and they could definitely not make the earthquake. So what just happened? Two men stepped out in obedience, and God saw their obedience, and he said, I got it from here. And that's what's going to happen with us as well. When we begin stepping out in obedience and God sees our obedience and our trust in him, eventually God is going to say, all right, we got something going on now. Verse 16, now the watchman of Saul and Gibeah. Watch what happens with the Israelites here. Now the watchman of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked. And there was the multitude melting away. And they went here and there. Remember what we read back in Deuteronomy 28? He said they're going to come at you one way and they're going to leave in seven ways. And that's exactly what they're seeing. Then Saul said to the people, who were with him? Now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here, for at the time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priests that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. What's going on? It's got a snowball effect. Two men climb up the mountain. They take on a garrison They wipe out 20 of them on a half an acre of land. The watchmen for Saul see what's going on. Now the Philistines are in total chaos. The enemy is on the run. Obedience produces blessings. When you obey, your enemy's going to come at you one way, but they're going to flee in seven different directions. That noise which was with in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled. And they went to the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor. And there was very great confusion. Two men making small steps. Getting that little victory is just enough to inspire everyone else. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in battle. A two man battle against thirty six thousand Philistines is now turned into the entire six hundred Israelite army pursuing hard after the Philistines as they flee. Verse twenty three, how will you respond to God uh, to the victory God provides in the future? So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth Avon. Note very carefully the progression that takes place throughout this passage. 30,000 Philistines plus against 600 Hebrews. The Philistines are representing the world. They're poised for battle out in the open. The Hebrews, God's people, God's chosen people are hiding in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and pits. Two men trust in God and make a move on the enemy. One small victory is won, and suddenly things change. It started with trembling in the camp. The raiders trembled, then the entire garrison trembled. It snowballed in the enemy's camp. And when the watchmen of Saul noticed what was happening, they said, it's time to make our move. We don't know how they did it, but we see God doing great and mighty things. And as God's people gain the confidence I've taken on the enemy. In the enemy's camp, there was great confusion. Small steps that lead to huge victories. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking for no one big move. We're not looking for a, an overall victory at once. We're looking for those small victories that we can get along the way. And at the end of this battle with the Philistines, the writer here specifically states that the Lord saved Israel that day. I know this is going to be a shock to some of you, but uh, if you watch professional wrestling on TV, just know that it is staged. (laughs) It's fake. The winner is already determined before that. I know that's a shock, isn't it? But here's the thing, when we come to Jesus Christ in faith, we have already won. The outcome has already been determined. I'm a winner either way, no matter what. Because Jesus Christ has fought the battle. And if God is for us, who can be against us? What we need to do right now is not get ahead of God. Notice that Jonathan... And his armor bear. they didn't get ahead of God. They waited. They said, look, if it doesn't happen the way we think, we're going to sit still. But whenever that signal is there, whenever that sign is given to us, that's when we're going to move. We don't want to get too far ahead of God. We don't want to get too far behind God either. That's why these Sunday morning lessons are so, so important. Let's listen to what God says. Is he telling us to make the next move right now? What direction is he telling us to go in? Because our destination has already been determined by grace through faith. So so God allows us to struggle sometimes. But those struggles teach us how to depend on him more and more. And, And God gives us the victory so that in the end, just like the writer in Samuel here said, the Lord saved us. We get those small victories, we point and say, look, Look what God did for us. And when we set out in faith, no matter what the project we take on, whatever ministry we're taking on, whatever effort it is, sometimes it's going to seem like we're in the minority. Sometimes it just seems like, you know, we don't see a whole lot going on. Sometimes in your personal life, it's going to seem like, look, it seems like I've taken a step back. It seems like I've suffered from a defeat here. Look, just remember 1 John 4, for greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And if your eternal destiny is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ, your salvation is already said. Your, your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus says, I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. The victory's already won because he's overcome death, hell, and the grave. And also remember the words of Jesus himself. John sixteen thirty three. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. And here's what he said. He, he never promised it would be easy, he's, but he did say, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And that's what Philist, uh, the Philistines represented in this story. They represented the world and everything that we're up against. Not the The world itself, not the planet, but the world systems that we fight each and every day. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight just thanking you so much that we have the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.